Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on April 17th, 2022, the resurrection of our Lord.
<laughs> she hates it when I do that. So today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. A few announcements that I would like to bring your attention to. First of all, thank you to Casey Evanson and Debbie Fisher for providing the breakfast this morning. We still have some breakfast downstairs if any of you want to turn that into a fellowship hour or take a traveler. You can just come downstairs, grab something, and, and head on out. And that was, uh, that was wonderful to have. The one thing that I want to highlight I see you didn't put it on here, but I, it, 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 it bears mentioning. Um, Myron Juritz, we lost a friend and uh, a worker in this church, and his funeral is this Saturday, but the visitation is on Friday at Thornburg Graf Funeral Home from 3 to 7. I invite you to... Um, attend the visitation um, and be able to pay your respects to Mary. Of course, you could do that today, but she doesn't really want to be too, too swamped right now. Um, but Mary, you know our prayers are with you. you. You know that, and you know what Myron meant to us in this, in this community. So that's what I'm going to say as far as our announcements. The rest is pretty self-explanatory. But we're going to worship today. Heads up, we're doing communion like we used to, so it will require some participation on your part. But we're going to come forward, receive communion. We've got our trays on the side. Be mindful, those of you who are sitting on this side because of the, the iPads. Is there anything else that we should highlight? Anyone? Bob? Nothing to highlight? Okay. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Marilyn, you want to keep on going? Let's do it. <laughs>
God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with the joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from death of sin by your life-giving spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us join together in our opening hymn, number 184. 183. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let us 
The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. This is the gate of the Lord. Righteous shall enter through it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Morning. Happy Easter. All right. The first reading is from Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 through 26. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Please rise for the Easter Gospel. Today we receive the Easter narrative from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared, they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing, the word of God. You may be seated. Let us pray. It is with no small amount of joy that we greet you this morning, loving God, as we hear again the telling of your Easter narrative, the deeds that you did through Christ that had given hope throughout generations. Let us continue on in that fine tradition of being inspired by this exhilarating tale as we reflect on what it means for those of us who are animated by the promise of the resurrection. I ask that you would settle our hearts always to realize that this thing that you have done was done out of your love for us. And it is out of our love for you that we keep the message alive. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be an offering to you on this Easter morn Continue to receive our gifts, bless them, and allow us to serve this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to wish you a happy Easter, and I want to thank you for gathering today for celebration together. This passage that we have before us from Luke 24, I have decided to slice it up into four sections. And I will unpack each section as we move through this narrative and unpack what this version of the Easter narrative, how it might speak to us today. 
The first section, I have verses 1 through 4. But on that first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed by this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. As Luke introduces the story, we see the women, they had a plan. They had set out, we're going to go to the tomb, they're still in a state of mourning, and they want to take these spices that they might go to the tomb and anoint the body, say prayers, come to grips with the reality of Jesus being dead. They have an expectation of events, they have a plan of action. Now, we good people all know that you can make a plan, but leave room for that plan to be changed, leave room for variations on a theme in the event that the thing that you set out to do changes, whether it be through weather, whether it be through personnel, whether it be through your mood, or in their case, a surprise that the very thing that they were seeking they couldn't find. The tomb has been disturbed. The body of Jesus is missing. Now, my thought is that the women at this point in the narrative still believe that Jesus is dead. As far as they're concerned, he's dead. The tomb being empty, they don't miraculously leap to the conclusion that he is alive and walking around. Actually, what they probably think is something very sinister is going on. Because the the narrative of, of the Messiah in first century Palestine loomed large. And we find that guards, in some of the Easter texts, guards were, were positioned at the tomb in the event that the uh, apostles wouldn't come and disappear the body so as to make it look like the resurrection happened. So we have these women who are trying to contend with themselves of Okay, we're here at the tomb. The tomb's been disturbed. Is this a trap? Is somebody going to spring out and arrest us? Because you have to realize that this is just a few days removed from the actual crucifixion, and heat was coming down on Jesus' disciples. And any of the followers of the way still had to operate underneath the radar for fear of being arrested and winding up with the same fate that Jesus had. So we have to understand that these women went to the tomb with a sense of bravery. And now that they see the tomb has been disturbed, their minds are circling in every different direction as to what this might mean. Are they in, are they in danger? Section 2, verses 5 through 7. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? The terrified response of the women is a fitting response when people just magically appear. It's never happened to me, but I guarantee you I have been surprised in places that I'm familiar with. Maybe you have been surprised by people uh, living in your workspaces or, or in your home, and you come around the corner and you're not expecting someone to be there. You know they're in the house, but you didn't know they're around the corner, and you jump. And then you say some choice words. Don't do that. You know, you know how my heart is. Come on now. So these women have these angelic messengers that just manifest, right? They're still puzzling their minds as to where is this body of Jesus and two dazzling white guys, just like sort of advertisement, just pop and they go, hey, what's going on? 
They fall down, bow on their faces. I would have turned and run. That was my thing. That's just my natural response. I'm like, fight or flight, right? I'm going to roll. But they bow down on their faces. But then this becomes an opportunity for a teaching moment. For we realize that these are not sinister individuals who have shown up. These are angelic messengers, and they come bringing good news. Now, what, what I love about this is that when the angels appear, the first thing that they have for the women is a question. This is how they introduce the good news. Why do you look for the living among the dead? This is how the men introduce it, but they follow it up with, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Now, this is very important for us to note. The angels reminding the women of Jesus' prediction that all these things would come to pass. Their minds are so captivated by the fact of that final image of him being laid in a tomb being broken on a cross, being whipped and flogged, all those sort of horrific images which you cannot shake. These are the things that left an indelible impression upon those women. That's the last thing in their mind. And what it did was it caused them to sort of flush out any memory of the predictions that Jesus had made on his way to the cross. If you'll indulge me, I have gone and found all the references in Luke's gospel to when Jesus prophesied his end. The first is found in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. And he strictly charged and commanded them, tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's Luke 9, 21 through 22, just after Jesus fed the multitude. Luke's second reference of Jesus' prediction of his death is found in Luke chapter 9, verses 43 through 45. And all were astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were terrified to ask him about this saying. Luke's reference of Jesus' third and final prediction of his death is found in chapter 18, verses 13 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things, saying that this saying was hidden from their eyes, and they did not grasp what was said. So in these three references, we clearly have that Jesus was trying to inform his disciples of his end. And he was very open about that because he wanted them to understand that God was doing a thing and to not resist it, but to allow it to unfold so the glory of God could be revealed when it does happen. This is what the angels who were visiting with the women at the tomb, this is what they are referencing. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that he would be given up, that he would be crucified, 
and that he would be raised on the third day. Now, Luke, in Luke's Gospels, and it's particular to Luke's Gospel, Luke says that when Jesus mentioned this prediction, it was lost on the ears of the disciples and it was concealed from them. Now, maybe that's Luke's euphemism from the fact that the disciples didn't want to hear anything unpleasant. We're like that. Nobody has ears to hear unpleasant things, no matter how many times it is said to us. Jesus and his disciples were so closely knit, there was such an intimacy there, that they couldn't even imagine thinking of his not being there in that capacity as his teacher, as their friend, as their guide to a new and better way of living. So for him to talk about, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be dead, I'm going to rise on the third day, even though it ends well, rising on the third day, they don't want to hear that. They have no ears to hear that. So I'm sticking to the conclusion that it wasn't that the disciples didn't understand. It's just that they didn't want to accept. Section 3, Luke 24, verses 8 through 11. Then they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told this to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So after the angels jar the memory of the women, and they realize, yes, Jesus did indeed say these things, now they're not afraid anymore. They're animated. Because that is the appropriate response to good news like this. You don't cower and hide your face. You don't run and retreat and hide in a corner. You say, I got to share this with somebody. So they naturally go to the people who would best be in a position to receive this good news. They don't just go and bandied about in the streets. They go to the 11. They go to the disciples who were there when Jesus was opening their eyes and revealing to them the scriptures, calming the storms feeding the multitudes, casting out demons, opening the eyes of the blind, strengthening the limbs of those who couldn't walk, and setting the forgiveness of God upon anyone who had ears to hear. So let's go to them. They're going to want to hear this good thing, right? They're going to want to hear this good thing. So they go and they do. I mean, you can imagine just the animation. I have no idea how many women were actually mentioned. We have three, and it says, and other women. So it's probably a sizable crowd and they're enthusiastic, and maybe they're falling over each other to try to get there first, and maybe they're all talking over one another because they're telling their version of it, and the, and the guy stood next to me, and then I fell down, and then he said, get up, and he said, remember, and then I remembered, and I mean, you, know, you could just kind of, you know, imagine like when, when your children come to you because they saw something that you've probably seen a dozen times before, but it was new to them, it was new to them, so they're like, mom, you got to see this thing, and mom's like, one at a time. Because mom's just tired just trying to follow this narrative. And that's probably how it was, right? So they come in with this enthusiasm and it falls flat. The men go, mm, idle tale. Now, idle tale. Women sharing a narrative with the apostles. There has been more than one commentary that I have read on this passage that has made a very large deal out of the women revealing this narrative and the apostles' unwillingness to receive it. And we've had some authors who might have intimated that it had something to do with societal cultural norms at the time. You have a predominant 
group of women who are trying to share a narrative of something incredible that happened to them with a predominant group of men. I don't have to tell you, you do the math. <laughs> this is, in first century Palestine, this is the wrong order of things. So the men dismiss it, because it didn't happen to them, so it's not real. It's just women's stories. All right. So you can imagine how deflated they felt. Because they know what happened. They know what they saw. They know what they experienced. They know how the angels animated them. And so they were the first apostles. They, they came and told the story. They never saw Jesus. Not in Luke's gospel. We don't actually see Jesus. We just see the messengers and saying, he's not here. But he is alive. And go and share that good news. And they do. And you get your first skeptics right there in the, in the story. And the first skeptics are the ones who shouldn't have been skeptical. Because they had seen incredible things with Jesus. But their minds were still too attached to his dead image. Still attached to the man broken and bruised and battered on a cross. Still attached to the man wrapped in linens and laid in the tomb. They were still attached to the reality and the gravity of death. They hadn't experienced the animation of the resurrection like the women did. Section 4, Luke 24, verse 12. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home, amazed at what he had seen. Peter does some thinking, and he begins to question his doubt. In fact, he even goes to investigate. Because sometimes unless we investigate, it's not real unless we can lay eyes on it. Now, when he investigates the matter for himself, prompted by something within him that he simply could not explain. But at that moment, he's drawn into the mystery, enough to share in the amazement of the moment. It didn't say that he went back to the women. It didn't say that he went back and he apologized and he confirmed and he's like, yep, you know, it is as you told me. It said he went home, but he held something in his heart. That the reality that perhaps maybe this story isn't over. Maybe there is more that's going on. Maybe I need to stay tuned and not switch the channel just yet. Maybe there's something in it for each and every one of us. Now, we gather for the retelling of this story every year to share in that same amazement that Peter and the women had. It's a good story. It's a story that is wild and outlandish and fantastical in nature, but it animates us to do things that we would not do or could not do without the motivation that this story provides. It is part of our identity as Christians. It is the heart of our faith. And even if you have been through many Easter's, many Easter's, decades of Easter's, and you still go, really? This story is not necessarily an idle tale, but it just wild story. Even if you're still at that place, stay with it. Stay with this story because if we do not accept this, if we don't lean into this story of hope, 
as often as we can. It will not allow us to engage life fully as people of God. The women went to the tomb seeking one objective. They left with a very different objective. They went in fear and in sorrow. They came back with joy and enthusiasm. They never stopped telling and spreading the word of what had happened to them, what they had experienced, because the animation that they felt was real. And they realized that that is the heart of the gospel, is that unless it is shared, unless it is conveyed to someone else, it falls flat, becomes just a story. But when it animates us to meet the difficulties in life, to be peacemakers, to see that justice is done, to be the voice of the voiceless, to actually engage ourselves in the difficult tasks to bless this world, then we realize the story is full of power. And it always has been. But it's what we bring to it that gives it its depth. If the Easter story had not been carried by generations before us, we'd be talking about something else. But decades of individuals held on to that promise. They conveyed it and passed it forward to us. Now we are the torchbearers. And we pass it forward because these words are words of hope. So may the Easter story continue to allow each and every one of us to use the gifts that we have given and the very character and substance of our very being to go forth and to bless this world. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let us lift our voices together in our responsive hymn. Whatever it is. <laughs> I think it's 185. I'll just get it wrong.
seated. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for keeping your promise to us, to keep us in new life in Christ. And for this day of resurrection, for we have moved through the season of Lent and it was a cross to bear for us as individuals, for us as a community, for our nation, for the world. So many instances of loss and violence. We know all too well the need to hear this story as often as possible. Because it's the only thing that can counter the reality of the harsh reality of life. The bitter truth of persistent violence, of war, of death. We need what you provided. Some of us find ourselves still perplexed that you would do these things for us, broken in our nature. But when we have felt in some tangible way the reality of your salvation, we count ourselves as blessed that you have not forgotten us. I ask that you would lay your blessing upon all celebrating Easter around the globe and other high holy days. And as you call people to you, that we become aware of ourselves, not as we are, but as you would have us to be. And so long as you continue to animate us as you did those women, we will move closer and closer day by day towards those goals where we meet people where they're at, where we serve without the desire of being served, and love flows freely. We ask your blessing upon those who are sick and suffering, those in hospitals and in care facilities who are celebrating Easter from a bed. We pray that you surround them not only with the care that they require, but with intermittent reminders of your love for them. Sometimes when we are sequestered to the margins due to fragile health or other conditions, we can feel as if the world has passed us by, and perhaps maybe that is not so misguided. The world does move at a fast pace, and sometimes people get lost in the shuffle. So for the mindfulness that you have created, especially on this day, when we realize about the great community of the saints, the household of the faith, you also bring back to our minds in the forefront of our minds those who have slipped to the margins. And you allow us to 
call on them in a variety of ways. We ask that you would lay your prayers upon those who are grieving. Continue to sustain and lift up the Juritz family. And guide us this week as we make our way towards Myron's funeral. Give us strength. For the Easter promises that we bring to you, for the joys and the thanksgivings, for the togetherness that we have, for the life that you have given us. We ask that you would receive our prayers spoken unto you. Resurrect our hearts and minds and keep us as one. Hear our prayers. author of life, hear the prayers that have been spoken unto you, our concerns as well as our joys. Breathe life into our weariness, cut through our pain, restore us, that we too might glimpse in a variety of ways the power of the Easter promise. Remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
God of grace, God of glory, we ask that you would receive this offering on this, the most sacred day in the Christian year. We give this offering and present it to you that it might continue new life in a variety of ways. New life that emanates from each and every one of us, utilizing our gifts of presence, wisdom, deeds, to bless our communities and beyond. Receive these gifts for the sake of he who offered himself for us, Christ our Lord. I invite you to join together on the church covenant, which is front cover of the celebrated life of human. We covenant with the Lord and with one another, and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, and substance and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God of purpose and power, we ready ourselves to receive a meal instituted by your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That as he showed us the way to you, he also absolved us of any brokenness the weakness, the frailty that so often accompanies daily life. You restore to us a sense of purpose, a sense of worthiness, and our own redemption. Allow us to partake of this meal on this sacred day and to feel that we have been renewed as you renewed your son. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, dividing it. He said, this is my body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and eat and remember me. them with a cup. The cup of the new covenant. Christ's blood is shed for the remission of our sins. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Ministering to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I offer you the sacrament of Holy Communion. First Congregational's table is an open table. Anyone wishing to receive communion is invited to come forward at the invitation of the ushers. You will receive your host from the center, and we will have our communion sisters on the side with the grape juice. And then we have trays on either end, so you can, and these are real glass cups, so don't, don't freak out. There's a little bit of weight to them. It's the good stuff. We save the good stuff for Easter. <laughs> All right. Our table is set, and if I would uh, have our communion sisters
This is my cohort.
with certainty that only you can provide, loving God, we feel a lightness to be able to come to your table, to be welcome at your table, to be welcome, to be forgiven. These are not lost on us. And for that power that you infuse in us through this narrative, this timeless narrative of our own renewal, we will gladly take that into the world and we will share it in every possible way. Amen. We join together in our closing final hymn, number 188.
even to those who might think it an idle tale. But we know better. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thank you.